This is Chris. Welcome to episode 236 of X-Lapsed, and it is a uh, a most solemn occasion today uh, because we get to say goodbye to a book that I feel surprised a lot of us. I think when this book was announced and when we you know started reading this book, there were certain expectations, perhaps a little trepidation, um, that this was going to be... Well, this was going to be just like its namesake, right? This was going to be a cable series just like... All the other cable series, which yeah, they had their highs, but uh, they mostly had lows, at least in my humble opinion. But uh, this one surprised us. And today, for better or for worse, we say goodbye to Cable Volume 4 with its 12th issue, cover dated September 2021. Stories called Shakespeare in the Zack. Okay. Written by Jerry Duggan, Art Phil Noto, Letters VCs Joe Caramagna, Design Thal Muller, Head of X, for now, Hickman. Edits Bisa White Sapolsky, cover price $3.99, and this one went on sale July 28 of 2021. And before we get into the actual issue here, I just want to beg your indulgence once again. The, uh, the allergies are hitting me rather hard today, so uh, if any of this episode sounds disjointed, it's a... Uh, well, it's because it is. <laughs> I'm having to... I mean, I'm like a minute and a half into it right now, and I've already had to stop the recording two or three times to clear my throat or make some other noise that I don't think anybody would want in their ear uh, during a uh, podcast recording. So uh, uh, just begging your indulgence here, and we will do our best, as we always do. So, we open with a mostly blank quote page, wherein Cable relieves Cable of his duties. And uh, we saw this get said back in Extermination, which we covered as part of the X-Lapsedination Sunday special series, which is available in the archives. And uh, it's funny, it's uh, the first time I'm realizing that outside of, uh, what was it, X-Force Volume 5, that 10-issue series that came out pre-Hoxpox, we've basically covered Kid Cable's entire life here on the show, between Extermination and uh, everything post-Hoxpox. There wasn't all that much more, so maybe one of these days we'll cover that X-Force series and have the the complete Kid Cable uh, story told via my rambling voice. So, double-page spread of roll call and cred. Our characters include Cable, and it's a picture of Kid Cable, by the way. We don't have two Cable boxes on uh, this page. Esme Cuckoo, Emma Frost, Cyclops, Jean Grey, Rachel Summers, Hope Summers, Deadpool, and Strife. Now, into the comics, we got Old Man Cable and Strife exchanging blows. Of note, Strife, uh, yeah, he's very cocky here. He thinks he has the upper hand. He truly does think he's going to win this. And he suggests perhaps keeping the old man alive until Krakoa burns. Hmm, so maybe he's got some uh, knowledge of what's to come, maybe. Hmm. 
Now, a demon, who kind of looks like the external cruel, comes up behind OMC, but is sniped by the kid before he can do anything. Now, Strife, you know, you'd figure he might be a bit perturbed at seeing both cables, but no, no, quite the opposite. He's downright giddy at seeing Kid Cable because he figures this will be his opportunity to kill both cables. Now, Cyclops, who is with the kid, blasts Strife in the face, cracking his helmet around his glowing left eye. And then the war wagon rolls in. On it, we got Rachel, Hope, and Esme blasting away. Jean is standing there, um, probably doing something psychic-y. Domino is driving, and Deadpool is yucking it up, comparing Strife to Shredder from uh, the Ninja Turtles. Now, Esme is annoyed by the fact that she's using a gun, considering it to be too human and therefore beneath her. And so she decides to hop out of the wagon and just step up to Strife. Now, Deadpool warns Connie against it, uh, you know, Deadpool's never been able to keep his cuckoos straight, which is pretty funny. I, I, I kind of giggled there. Uh, he also suggests that what she's doing is basically suicide. Well, she goes ahead anyway, steps to Strife, and proceeds to read his mind. Now, what she sees is, well, basically a quick and dirty look at how Cable and Strife are always fighting. It doesn't matter the time nor place, there will always be a Cable, and there'll always be a Strife. And in these battles, sometimes Cable wins, sometimes Strife wins which kind of makes their relationship feel a little futile, doesn't it? But I think that is kind of the point. While Esme reels with this new knowledge, the kid charges in, but he's swatted away by Strife. The old man then rushes in, and he and Strife struggle a bit with their blades. Off to the side, Esme tends to little Nate, telling him that, uh, well, she understands everything now. She gets why he has to do the things that he has to do. She hates it, but she gets it. Kid Cable tells her that uh, yeah, he never he never understood why she stuck around with him, you know, uh, he, and he even figures that it was just to tick off Emma, you know. Esme says that's always fun to rile up the White Queen, but that's not why they got together. You see, at first, the cuckoos were kind of set up with Cable by Scott, Jean, and Emma to ensure that the kid wasn't actually Strife. Now, it didn't take Esme long to figure out that he was just, you know, dumb old Kid Cable, but by that point, well... She liked him. At this point, they kiss, uh, but with the understanding that uh, theirs is a love that can't ever be. Well, we'll hold that thought for a bit. Then Nate rushes back into the fracas, and Esme cries. Jean consoles her and prepares her to help the, uh, the fellas with their final rush here. And so, we go back to the killing fields. The Cables, along with the, some psychic assistance from Jean and Esme, manage to defeat Strife. Now, the Nates point their blasters at Strife, who appears to be, I don't know, maybe like 40 years old or so. Um, what I mean to say is his hair isn't completely white. Uh, he has like that X-Man white streak, like in the very front of his hair, kind of like Kid Cable does, except without the, uh, you know, without the shaved sides and stuff. And uh, Strife's face doesn't appear uh, quite as rough as it was when he debuted, and uh, that's not a knock on Liefeld's art. Not an intentional one, anyway. What I mean to say is he looks younger. Kid Cable then asks Strife if he has any last words, and, uh, well, he sure does. You see, Strife requests amnesty. After all, Krakoa is for all mutants, right? Well, I suppose we could get into the logistics of clones and duplicates on Krakoa again, but it's a pretty moot point in this situation. Because, you see... Both cables claim that their ears are ringing too badly to hear what the baddie is actually saying. And so they, uh, well, they, they blast the hell out of him. They, they murderize him. Strife is, uh, is dead. 
Now off to the side, the demons, now with their, without their pointy-helmeted leader, they've got a few parting words for our heroes, and uh, those parting words are, Praise Satan, let's go home, which is pretty great. Uh, Deadpool is standing by, and he's worried that he's going to have to... He's going to be the one who's stuck collecting Strife's body and suggests that perhaps a shop vac might be of use. Meanwhile, the Cables talk about how this Strife was just one Strife out of the picture. There are many, 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 many Strifes. And so they're going to have to deal with their dupe on multiple fronts. Now, this is basically the old man telling the kid that the kid is going to have to go back to the future. Now, this might speak some more to the futility of uh, Cable's very existence, but we'll get into more of that uh, after we're done with the synopsis. From here, we get into, I guess, sort of a wrap-up, maybe half wrap-up, half epilogue, in a way. And we shift to an unnamed planet for some of that wrap-up. Here, we've got Old Man Cable and that last Galadorian, remember him? Uh, They're tying up the loose end of the Space Knights. Now, Cable, I think, uses the essence of the Light of Galador sword on the Space Knight, who perishes, but then also kicks off the beginning of a new techno-organic race, I think. Um, What we see here is, like, orbs digging into the ground, and then a Space Knight-flavored flower blooms, like a techno-flower blooms out of this unnamed planet. That's kind of what I'm trying to say here. Now, perhaps we are literally planting seeds for future stories, or maybe Marvel's just lying in wait, maybe to get the rights to Rom back? I mean, who knows at this point. From here, we go back to Krakoa, and the kid and Esme share their last night and morning together. Before Cable body slides away, Esme takes his beaded necklace, which will be important in just a moment. Then we head to the moon. Kid Cable says goodbye to his family. As he leaves, Wolverine enters with a six-pack of beer. Now, if you remember, Logan owed Cable a marker from their battle in the quarry back in issue one. Well, Kid Cable's calling in that marker so Logan can uh, help the summer zizzizzes get through this. Now, worth noting, the kid tells the fam that they'll be able to find him if they need him. So, uh, why does he have to leave permanently then? I mean, if he can just bebop through time... Couldn't he just, like, come home and sleep in his own bed every night between Strife Wars? Uh, Time travel is a toughie. It's uh, things like this that make the uh, pages in my original Squadron Supreme trade paperback switch positions, if if folks get that reference there. Anyway, Kid Cable arrives at the old man's space station from here, where he is literally rearmed, like he has a new arm put on with the Bell AI in it. Now, uh, he's got questions, though. He's not ready to go just yet. And, I mean, he's been following along with the Hox, Pox, Docs, Socks, Rocks era, so I could totally understand him wanting to get some answers. I know we want some. Unfortunately, Cable ain't keen on spilling those beans, which, huh, does that mean that he knows about Inferno? And, uh, by extension, does that mean he knows about Mora? Is his presence on Krakoa going to be problematic? Huh, interesting. Anyway... The old man, he doesn't, he's not going to give any news, but he does have some advice. And the advice is basically fight for the things you want. We flash back to the future. It's old man Cable, who is probably the aged kid Cable, who... I don't know, I'm, I'm kind of confused here. I'm, I'm struggling with this time travel stuff. Whatever the case, now he's readying himself to head back to the past to undo something his stupid younger self did. And we can see that he's living with Esme Cuckoo 
who is helpfully still wearing that beaded necklace she took from the kid a few pages ago, so we know that it is, in fact, her. Back to the present. The cables say their farewells. The old man keeps the light of Galador, which I suppose may or may not still have some Galadorian juice in it. Now, he says he's going to keep it here, meaning that the old man is now once again our cable. He body slides to the sword station for his last annihilation one-shot, and the kid body slides into the distant future where he and the Bell AI charge into their decades-long battle with Strife and his hordes. We wrap up this issue, this series, this volume back in uh, presumably a uh, less evil area of New Jersey where we, uh, we find Stinger and Omerta. They've gotten their baby back. Hey, you, you remember? That's kind of what kicked off this whole series. Only, you know, where they had one baby taken, now they've got two. Because if you remember, Strife had to clone the five stolen tots to make ten because Kid Cable stole back the other five. You know, he, was, he had ten, he needed ten. Kid Cable was able to rescue five, so Strife was left with five, needed ten, so he just cloned the babies. Now the issue closes with the revelation that the clone baby has a glowing left eye. Well, well, well. Well, that's where we leave it. Next episode, we kick off two episodes of uh, Last Annihilation with the Guardians of the Galaxy. But uh, we'll get into that next time. For now, well, let's wrap up this volume. So let's talk about this as, um, like, the second half of a series here. Let's look at the X of Tens Till Now run, because I feel like that is a, uh, a story unto itself here. Whereas, I mean, the whole volume is certainly a story for uh, Kid Cable and sort of his coming of age. I feel like it really started to kick in around the time of X of Swords because, uh, well, that's when we started to see this formerly cocky kid start to question his own abilities and uh, and efficacy in that he started uh, maybe seeing some weakness in himself. We saw it during the fight with uh, Bay the Blood Moon where he kind of didn't pull the trigger because he... Caught a glance of Doug Ramsey, Bay's husband, in his peripheral vision and realized that he just couldn't go through with uh, putting her down. And uh, perhaps that's a sign of softening, a sign of weakness, but also an opportunity for him to maybe sympathize with the old man cable version in that uh, maybe the rules aren't quite as rigid when you take into account... Uh, the feelings and experiences of of people and people that you care about. He couldn't kill Bay the Blood Moon because he didn't want to hurt Doug. And instead, I mean, Bay turned it around and nearly killed him. And uh, in the words of Saturnine, it didn't, you know, physically kill him, but killed his spirit. And that was kind of the genesis of Kid Cable wanting to bring the old man back, uh, perhaps realizing that the old man maybe had his head screwed on a little bit better than he had thought here uh, back during the extermination days. I found that to be quite the maturation of Kid Cable here. I mean, this whole volume has been like a coming of age for him, which I tell you what, I never, ever expected when we started this volume. And I mean, I've said this before, and I'm sure I'll probably wind up saying it again because I am very, very repetitive. But all I knew of this character uh, when we went into this volume was what I saw in uh, the Hickman X-Men volume, which made Kid Cable look like kind of a chuckle-headed schmuck, and uh, what we saw in Fallen Angels, which was this really gloomy, dark, angsty kid, and I wasn't a fan of either take. So going into the volume here, 
I kind of expected like a militaristic approach here, like the original mission statement for Cable, where, you know, Cable showed up in New Mutants, thought they were a little too passive, and uh, started X-Force as the proactive X-Team, you know. And it's been said before, they were the team that wouldn't wait for the, for the danger to come to their doorstep. They'd go out and take care of it before it became a problem. Which was the mission statement and lasted for about 10 minutes before they became just another X team. But, uh, but that's kind of what I thought we'd be getting out of this volume. And I uh, couldn't be happier that I was wrong because uh, this was a very fun story, and uh, it's a testament to the creative team that they can take a character so far removed from relatable reality and give him so many relatable traits here. And, uh, I mean, this is to Duggan and Noto, because together, I mean, they made magic here. Uh, Cable as a naive, somewhat naive, somewhat innocent, mistake-making character it was just so well done here. And then Noto being able to bring this far more complicated character than I expected to read to life the way he did, this was this was fun, and I'm, I'm definitely going to miss it, which is something I, again, I didn't think I would ever say. When this book was announced, it was kind of an eye-roll moment for me, you know, because it was just like, a, well, of course, we're going to get a Cable series, because it's an X-Men uh, family of books, and... Yeah, we're going to get a Cable book. Hopefully it won't last long. <laughs> it was my first thoughts, and, uh, well, it, it didn't, which is unfortunate. But uh, overall, it was certainly, at least to me, a net positive. Uh, he reminds me a lot of, and I think I've made this comparison before on the air, but the new 52 Superman, who was, when you compared him to the pre-Flashpoint Superman, a bit immature, a little brash, you know, a little bit more hot-headed, and for the longest time was a character that I just could not glom onto. I, I was not a fan of this take on the character until he was about to die. We got to jump all the way to the end of the New 52 and DC YOU era to the lead-up to Rebirth, where I started to appreciate this uh, younger, brasher Superman, and uh, and came around to the uh, idea that while he wasn't my Superman, he was still worthy of the name and of the title, and then, you know, then he went away. And that's kind of how I feel about Kid Cable, where uh, when we met him, I was like, well, this, this kid ain't for me, you know, he was different. But as we started peeling back the layers and finding out that he actually had layers, uh, he became a character that I really, really dug, and... I'm going to miss him. And of course, that isn't to say that I'm upset that we have the old man back, because, I mean, the old man, I, I would never say I'm a cable guy, but uh, the old man is my cable, you know, coming from where I come from in the fandom. Uh, cable was old, <laughs> you know, he was always an old man. And uh, there is, I have to admit, a level of comfort in having him back, because, you know, this uh, this era of X-Books is... Kind of uncomfortable, isn't it? It's designed to be that way. It's so different from what we've had before that it's kind of a any old port in the storm sort of a situation here. We we recognize the old man Cable as perhaps a touchstone in our fandom or a touchstone to a yester era that we fondly remember, and it's uh, there is a level of comfort in having him back here. Now, uh, one of the watchwords that's been coming up in our books that have been coming to an end is uh, truncation. That's something we talked about a lot during X-Factor, which was heavily, heavily truncated in the last issue and a half of its run there, half of issue 9 and all of issue 10. 
felt very, very rushed. And of course, that's no fault to the creative team here. They had that cancellation dropped upon them from uh, out of nowhere. So, you know, you do the best you can to tell the stories you feel like you need to tell before turning the lights out and closing the door one last time. And uh, yeah, that, that does lead to truncated stories. In Cable, we don't really have that. There really isn't much of a feeling of truncation here. This came together more or less organically. There's not a whole lot of feeling of uh, rushing and, and bustling uh, toward the latter half of this series. Outside of the Galadorian, I feel like with the way the last Galadorian just like showed up last issue while everything was going to hell, uh, that maybe that was a loose end that needed to be tied off before the uh, the volume came to a close. But other than that, I feel like it came together. I mean, it's really just one big story here. We have Strife, we have the babies, we have Kid Cable coming of age, and uh, the old man coming back and the status quo, at least insofar as who is Cable, uh, restored to the way that it, uh, that it was pre-extermination. Now let's talk about this as, you know, a single final issue, uh, of which I think it was a very successful final issue. We got to take care of the big conflict of the volume, and we got several epilogues which hint at future storylines here. The only thing I kind of question is the wonky time travel uh, logistics, where the kid's like, well, if you need me, you know where to find me. And it's, well, then, why, then why are we having these you know, sappy goodbyes? <laughs> why do you have to leave necessarily if you could just pop back every, every once in a while if you're needed? I don't know. You guys know me. I, there hasn't been a time travel story yet that hasn't bamboozled me. And uh, it's not like a space story or a uh, Savage Land story where I don't like it. I do like time travel, I just don't understand it, and it's hard to analyze, and uh, I feel like time travel and fiction can be a very contentious subject where some people like the Grunewald laws, some people don't like the Grunewald laws and feel like they just overcomplicate things, uh, some people like it where, you know, the original five can bebop around time and return to just being themselves, it's a, it's a toughie, I guess that's a, a mileage may vary sort of thing, um, and for the most part, I did enjoy it. I just uh, don't want to be put on the spot and ask why, because I really can't explain it. Overall, I still recommend uh, checking out this Cable series. If you haven't checked it out before, I'm guessing that there's probably going to be a, uh, you know, a trade paperback or a hardcover of the entire series. Maybe leaving out the X of Tens chapters, but uh, for everything else, I'm sure there's going to be a collected edition. I know there's already a collected edition for the first half of it, so... It's definitely out there, it's definitely worth your time, and uh, if you are trepidatious about dipping into a cable series, I'd say that you're probably safer than you think, so uh, maybe give a dip your toe in, give it a shot. But that's all I have to say about the issue for now. Let's hop into the mailbag before we cut out of here, and, uh, well, we're going to start with Damien, and he's talking about X-Corp number one. And I tell you what, I've been looking forward to hearing Damien's thoughts on this one. Now, Damien says, I cannot recall a time in my fandom when a new book has been released and I haven't seen a single positive comment online about it. Different people have different tastes, and you expect even the things that you think are trash to be loved by someone else, and, of course, vice versa. There are people who think Excalibur is the best book being released by Marvel, and just yesterday I saw a tweet declaring that Way of X was the worst X book. There's no accounting for taste. But everyone seems to hate X-Corp. Now, I tell you what, that's both vindicating and surprising. You see, full disclosure, I don't read other people's opinions uh, because I'm always afraid that I'm going to subconsciously, I don't know, make them my own. 
or try to pass them off as my own So I steer far away from other people's thoughts on the books But I did look at the review aggregate websites Where they, you know, aggregate the scores that people give And uh, the odd thing about X-Corp is that it doesn't look any different from any other book At least insofar as scores are concerned There's still the same amount of 10 out of 10 reviews as there are any other Big two book that, uh, you know, people want to impress the creator by giving a good score So I just assumed that this book was, you know, same as it ever was, right? Uh, Especially since right after I reviewed it, I got my own one out of five star review on iTunes Because I'm so damn negative I just assumed mine was a minority opinion And I was getting some clap back from someone who wanted to uh, stand up for a writer Who probably wouldn't spit on them if they were on fire so I tell you, this is uh, fairly vindicating to hear that uh, Well, there are other people out there who will review things honestly You know, um, Damien continues It is terrible A load of meaningless corporate speak laid over some terrible characterization Monet is an awful person in this story She's manipulative, self-centered, and nasty This is not the M I know She was never nasty or cruel Just impatient and irritated by others' incompetence I thought X-Force was doing a number on Beast, but this book seems to be trying to make Monet into a villain. And hey, have I told you guys my thoughts on Beast? And Okay, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna get into that again. Um, you're right, you're right. Monet is absolutely awful in this book. Her characterization reminds me of uh, how people used to talk about uh, female wrestlers, probably about within the past ten years or so. Where, rather than getting actual storylines and real, like, organic feuds and, you know, just stories You know, why, why are these two people fighting each other? Why did this person turn on this person? Why is this person now bad when they were good for, you know, two weeks and they were bad before that? And I remember hearing from the, like, the wrestling news sites That the only characterization they were giving the, uh, the female performers was that Women are mean to one another <laughs> Women don't like one another And that was... The entire basis for the women's division Alliances didn't matter, experiences didn't matter, backstories didn't matter It was just, women are mean, and that's the story And that's what I feel when I'm reading Monet here It's just like, where did she? Where did her character go? She's just mean girl now? Not to mention that if we were looking at this strictly as like a job performance review For Monet as a CXO of X-Corp She sucks, she should be gone <laughs> She should have been fired a long time ago uh, Damien continues, the other characters are no better drawn, and the art is the weakest we've seen in the Hox, Pox, Docs, Rock, Socks, Nox, Fox, Locks era. And I agree, it's almost as though I have to like anthropomorphize a two-dimensional drawing here and think that Warren is actually trying to appear decent in this book in spite of the way everything is being written. It's like I'm giving him his own personality here outside of uh, the writer's pen here. It's it's not good. Um, as for the art, I, I didn't hate it. Uh, I think the art, if we could say that there was a bright spot to the issue, it would probably be the art, and of course the cover, which you're gonna you're gonna mention in just a bit here. But uh, I didn't mind the art. And you know, for me, I don't like talking about the art all that much because uh, you know there's so much subjective about it. So something has to be either phenomenally good or phenomenally bad for me to to comment on it either way. And I didn't find this to be either. It was. Fairly inoffensive, and, uh, you know, it worked fine. Maybe, you know, sort of afterthoughty kind of art, which, you know, goes right back to my this should be a five-page chapter in an X-Men Unlimited book rather than its own hopefully not ongoing series. Damien continues, 
How did this get the go-ahead to be published? It makes fallen angels look like watchmen. Surely even David Aha covers can't rescue this. You can't polish a turd. Baffling. And yeah, I, I don't know what the thinking is behind this uh, series. I have looked at the Marvel previews, and it doesn't... Let, I mean, they're either skipping a month, or this book is going to end with the fifth issue. Uh, fingers crossed it's ending with the fifth issue. I'm guessing that there's going to be, like, one thing that we're going to take from this story that will add to the lore of the Hox Pox, Rocks, Docs, Socks era. But unfortunately, we, you know, need to spend $20 or $21 before tax on bafflingly frustrating story and characterization to get there. Like with Fallen Angels, we did get the uh, the bit about Quanon's daughter. I think we even got, like, one takeaway from the Empire four-part cash-in with... Uh, Something having to do with controlling the Krakoan gates. I think we did get a takeaway there that added to the, you know, the main overarching Krakoan story. So maybe that's the case here. I guess we can only wait and see. But thank you so much for writing in on uh, that, uh, <laughs> that challenging issue of X Corpia. I've been looking forward to hearing your thoughts since, uh, well, since I first read it. So I'm happy to finally have them here. And uh, I'm also relieved to find out that I'm not completely insane and in not caring for it. So, uh, thanks again. Next up, we got Meal talking about X-Men number 7, the Crucible issue. Now, Meal says, the Crucible. Get rid of the Cruce, add a D and an I, switch it around, change the E to an O, and it becomes Diablo, because this thing is evil. I remember that you used the analogy of converting to a new religion, but there's a difference between water and death. The experiences of death are still there, unless you're Domino, but I think people forget that the effects of your death on your loved ones still exists. In this issue, while maybe Melody was fine with dying, Sam and Paige were clearly not thrilled with seeing their little sister dying. Honestly, I feel for Sam. Imagine going to this place, which you've been promised by your boyfriend, I mean best friend, is the best place on earth for your species. And immediately, your sister is murdered by a man who you've fought with throughout the years while your fellow mutants cheer this all on. I mean, let's not get started on the crowd. Though I admit I am intrigued by how the human world would react to all this. So until Jean gets a new outfit, be mine, X-Lapsed. Well, Jean changes her outfits quite often these days, doesn't she? But, um, yes, uh, the Crucible. I do enjoy talking about the Crucible. I think <laughs> over the course of the past 236 episodes, um, boy, I don't know if there's a subject we've talked more about than the Crucible. Because, uh, yeah, the Crucible is very, very challenging. And, yeah, there's certainly an argument to be made that it is, uh, that it is evil. And that it is uh, something that the Krakoans are overlooking. They're overlooking the, the nasty parts of it in order to sort of kind of massage it into their culture. And this is all touched on uh, just perfectly in uh, Way of X. Way of X brings up things like the Crucible as... Something to make a society cohesive, right? Anytime you're in a society that grows to a point where there are hundreds of thousands or millions of members, it's harder and harder to unify under under customs and, and traditions here because things splinter, right? More minds, more families, more experiences. Traditions change. Traditions evolve. Traditions get left behind. And what was once a society becomes... Many, many sub-societies. 
So things like the crucible are a way to bind Krakoans together, right? This is a ritual that they all have in common. It's definitely a very, very interesting and challenging uh, subject or concept, and I am still very excited to see where this ultimately goes uh, when when it's time to put the toys away, right? I, I, you know, I talk about walking things back a lot on this show because this is such a drastically different take on these characters who've been around for you know half a century at this point. And it's a, it's a toughie. It's definitely a toughie. But I definitely appreciate your thoughts on The Crucible and always look forward to hearing from you. So thank you so much, Meal. Now, before we get out of here, we do have some shout-outs, some kind folks who uh, click the heart or the thumbs-up or the swirly thing to help share uh, this show. So over on Twitter, Chris at BTO and Bat Books, Chris Bailey, Ruth and Darren Sutherland, 21st Century Boys, Jason Colby, Walt Nealon, Professor Frenzy, Joe Crawford, Jeremiah, and Between the Pages blog. Thank you all so much for the signal boosts. Over on Facebook, Al Sedano, Joe Crawford, Jeremiah, Jesse, Billy D, Evan Bevins, Walt Nealon, and Pat Sampson. Thank you all so, so much. And like I've been saying, it really shouldn't matter to me if people click the little thumbs up or the heart, but uh, it does give me the impression that people actually care about this show. So I do appreciate it more than... Uh, more than I can adequately put into words, so thank you all very, very much. Now, if anybody out there would like to get a hold of me for, uh, well, I guess any reason, <laughs> you can find me several different places on the internet. You can find me on Twitter at Ace Comics. You can shoot me an email over to weirdcomicshistory at gmail.com. You can leave a message at the X-Labs voicemail hotline at 623-396-JERK. You can head over to chrisisoninfiniteearth.com for blog posts and show notes. You can also leave comments over there if you'd like. And you could join us on Facebook. Our group is 90s X-Men, where we're talking about a lot of fun stuff, including the future of this line. Where is it going? Where has it been? And uh, what's in store for us? Having some good times over there. I'd look forward to seeing you there. Finally, for the Chris and Reggie audio archives and the entire X-Labs family of shows, you can head over to chrisandreggie.podbean.com. That's available everywhere the internet aggregates noise and sound. But with all that said, we are out of here. I would like to thank you all so much for sharing your time with me today. And until next time, as always, I'll talk to you again real soon. See ya.